Hello everyone, this is your host Ramakrishna from Usha Investment Group LLC. Welcome back to Multifamily AP360, the show where we discuss 360 degrees views on mindset, passive and active multifamily investing. For those who are looking for tips, strategies, best and challenging experiences. Also, I request you to share it with those who might benefit and leave a rating and review. Today's our guest is Thomas Casley from our Real Estate CPA LLC. Welcome back, Thomas. Thanks for thanks for having me. It's, it's an honor to be back. Awesome. Thank you very much. It's always great chatting with you, Thomas. And a little bit about Thomas. Thomas Casley CPA is a tax strategist and real estate investor who helps other real estate investors keep more of their hard-earned dollars in their pockets and out of the governments. His real-life real estate investing experience combined with his ever-growing arsenal of hard-hitting tax strategies allows him to see eye-to-eye with clients in ways most CPS never could. So with that, Thomas, you want to add anything to your background? No, no, no. That's That that pretty much covers it as of right now. Cool. Thank you. And let's start with, you know, real estate professional qualification status. So would you share a little bit more about that? How exactly, you know, uh, investor, real estate investor will qualify for real estate professional? Right, right. So, so basically, kind of give a quick overview before I dive right into the real estate professional status. So, uh, underneath the tax code, um, since uh, the since the Tax Reform Act of 1986, uh, all rental real estate or or investment real estate is considered passive under the tax code. So, what that means is that um, if you generate losses from your real estate, and anybody who invests in real estate knows that oftentimes you're going to uh, invest and you're going to have a loss at least in the initial years of the investment, thanks to depreciation and, and all the other expenses that go into an investment. And those losses, because they're passive underneath the tax code, they can only offset other passive income, which means that they can't offset your W-2 or your active business income, or really any of the other income you have if it's not considered passive. So what the real estate professional status allows you to do is it allows you to take losses from your rental real estate and use them against your active sources of income, right? So uh, the way to qualify as a real estate professional, and this is the challenging part about the real estate professional status, is that in order to qualify, you must spend at least 750 hours in a real property trader business, and it must represent more than half of your total working time. So if you're working a full-time W-2 job or you're working full-time in a non-real property trader business, it could be very challenging to qualify for the real estate professional status. However, um, there's there's the opportunity for you to have a spouse qualify. So if one spouse happens to be a high income earner, the other spouse works part time or maybe doesn't work at all, they can take over the real estate portfolio and uh, they can qualify as a real estate professional status. And when that happens, both spouses are then considered to be real estate professionals and you can use the losses from your rental real estate to offset uh, the income on your, your your active income that you're maybe generating from a W-2 job or another business that's not a real property trader business. And uh, it can be quite powerful. Happy to go into some examples if you'd like. Got it. Got it. At least like, you know, they need to work on at least minimum 750 hours uh, into real estate business, right? In order to qualify as a real estate professional. Is that for individual or is jointly like, so can, can we combine... Uh, husband and wife's hours or it should be like one person? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. So uh, generally speaking, you're going one spouse, well, not generally speaking all the time, 
one spouse is going to have to meet the 750 hour and more than half their total working time requirement themselves. So you cannot combine the hours. One spouse has to individually hit those targets. Got it. Got it. Yeah. Thank you. No problem. So what are the tax efficient exit strategies when we are selling uh, as a real estate professional? Right. So when you're selling, when you're selling uh, real estate, there's a number of strategies that you can use. And a lot of them you can use whether or not you are a real estate professional, which is a good thing uh, for a lot of people out there. The, the number one exit strategy, you know, is something that everybody knows. It's called the 1031 exchange. You know, long story short, what a 1031 exchange allows you to do, it allows you to sell your original property and then exchange it or, or, or rather buy, buy one or more properties using the sales proceeds from uh, your original property and defer the capital gains tax into the future. So that's that's a very popular strategy. People definitely use 1031, 1031 exchanges a lot because again, it can allow you to purchase larger properties because you're deferring the taxes and you're able to reuse that the money you would have paid uh, the government in taxes to to towards the down payment or just basically to purchase larger and larger properties. So that's definitely a popular strategy. There are some strict timelines in there though. Um, in order to use it, you have to, you from the day you sell the property, you have 45 days to identify up to three properties that you that you want to that you want to buy. So those called replacement properties. So that happens when the first 45 days. And then you have a total of 180 days, which is just about six months from the date you sell the property, including this includes that 45 days. So 180 days from the day you sell your property uh, to close on uh, one or more of the other properties that you identified in that 45 day window. Otherwise the 1031 exchange will be defunct. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's kind of the 1031 exchange in a nutshell. Now, there are a few other strategies that are, are also very popular. Uh, the second second one is going to be, there's no real name for it. Some people call it the 1031 exchange light, but it's really just the combination of using cost segregation studies and bonus depreciation to offset the gain on the sale of your property. So to break that down a little bit, when you sell a property, you're it, it, whether basically if you sell a property and you're not a real estate professional, it's going to be considered passive. So you're going to have passive gains on the sale of the property, hopefully. And in this market, you probably will, right? So you're going to have this capital gain. And what you can do is in the same year you sell that property, you can acquire one or more other properties, however many properties you want or need to, and then have a cost segregation study performed on that property or those properties. And that will generally generate a pretty significant gain, uh, excuse me, significant loss, thanks to 100% bonus depreciation. And then you can use that loss from those new properties to offset the gain on sale of the property you sold originally. So this strategy is actually, uh, a lot of our clients use this strategy over the 1031 exchange because there's no there's a lot less uh, time restrictions, a lot less complexities that you have to go through with the 1031 exchange. And it effectively accomplishes the same thing. So just quickly summarize that, you're gonna sell your property, uh, you're gonna sell the property you wanna sell, and you're gonna buy one or more other properties in the same calendar year, and you're gonna have a cost segregation study performed. That cost segregation study is going to uh, basically reallocate certain components of the property into, uh, into class lives that are going to have, that are going to basically be eligible for hundred percent bonus depreciation. And that, that big depreciation expense will help you offset the gain on sale of your original property. So that's the second one. I'll go through one more and it's a popular one and it's called, uh, the installment sale, uh, also known as seller or owner financing. 
And the benefits of using the way this works is that you will sell property. And instead of taking all of the cash or all the proceeds in the first year, you're going to uh, make a deal with the buyer to receive payments over a number of years. Has to be at least one year, excuse me, has to be at least two years, but it can be five years, 10 years, 15 years, 30 years, whatever you want the term to be. And what this does, it's going to spread out the capital gains tax over the years of the installment sale. And a lot of people use this as a, a way to uh, not jump into a higher tax bracket. For example, you might be in the 15% capital gains tax bracket uh, if you use an installment sale, but you might be in the 20% bracket if you do end up using uh, just a direct sale and that can help you save money on taxes. In addition, it can help keep your income below certain thresholds uh, for retirement benefits to avoid the net, in the net investment income tax, also known as NIT. Um, that's an additional 3.8% tax on the sale of property um, and other capital assets. So it can help you avoid that tax. And it could just basically just help you from going into, uh, help you go into a bigger tax bracket, which is oftentimes why the installment sale is used. Uh, some other benefits uh, while we're on the topic of installment sale, you can receive another form of uh, income in the form of interest. Uh, because usually there's going to be an interest rate attached to the installment sale. And in, 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 a, in a way, you're acting as the bank. You're carrying back the note, and you're going to be able to it, it produce another form of income. Not really a tax strategy, but no one's crying over more money for the most part. And uh, additionally, it could also be a way to uh, sell a property at a higher price, uh, because you're going to offer the seller seller financing to the buyer, which is something they may need to buy the property. So Kind of in a nutshell, those are the top three exit strategies most people are probably going to use when they when they're looking to exit real estate. Got it. Yeah, thank you. But like on seller financing side, so is there any restrictions on interest rates? How much interest rate should be? Yeah. So there is a minimum interest rate that's required. It's known as the applicable federal interest rate, um, or, or the AFR. I'm not sure what it is today off the top of my head because it does change on a monthly basis, but it's relatively low. Um, it's like one or 2% right now, I'm pretty sure, last time I checked. So it's relatively low. You do need to have a minimum interest rate. And then there are maximum interest rates with loan sharking rules and everything that I don't know what those are, but it's pretty high, like 20 something percent. So you have a lot of flexibility, but there does need to be that minimum interest rate, the AFR. And if there is no minimum interest rate, the IRS will calculate it using the AFR. So um, there, there does have to be a minimum interest rate. Got it. And the next one is like, uh, what are the tax benefits for paying your children to work in your business? Oh, yeah, that's a great question. So uh, basically, when you pay your children, if you put them, put them on payroll, so this means you're going to file a W-2 uh, for your children, um, and they're working for, and if they're working for a parent or their parents, uh, then they're going to basically receive the money you pay and you pay them under the standard deduction. The standard deduction this year, I think, is $12,950, if I'm not mistaken. So if you pay them under the standard deduction, they're going to receive the money tax-free and you're going to get a tax deduction for your business. So if you paid your child $10,000, for example, for working in your business, they're going to receive that money tax-free as long as they're on payroll and they're working for a parent. Uh, and then you're going to get to deduct $10,000 on your tax return. So that right there, it's it's often called income shifting because it's a way to get money from you to your children 
in a tax-free way. And at the same time, you get a tax deduction. So it's pretty powerful. Then kind of from there, there are some additional benefits uh, for your children uh, because they are now going to have earned income. So one way you can help them, you know, utilize that earned income that they're earning is through a Roth IRA. So you can open up a Roth IRA for them and you can place the earnings in the Roth IRA. And then uh, that, that Roth IRA will grow tax-free. And then when they hit, uh, you know, the age of majority, you know, 18 years old, they can go ahead and use that money to uh, put a down payment up to $10,000 on their first primary residence. They can pay for college uh, with those funds penalty-free. They'll have to pay income tax on it when they withdraw, but they won't have to pay any penalties. Um, or they could take the contributions out tax and penalty-free at any time. So you say for a business endeavor or to travel, whatever they want to do. Or they can just use it as a uh, early foundation to a retirement account. So that is one of the one of the more popular ways people do it. They combine the tax benefits of paying their children with the Roth IRA to invest for their children's future in tax efficient manner. So that's kind of how it works in a nutshell. Got it. Yeah. Thank you. But is is there any minimum age requirements for children? Yeah, that's a good question. So uh, according to the Department of Labor. Uh, there are no minimum age to work for your for your child uh, to work for your parents or or hourly restrictions, right? You could basically have your kids work for you as much as you want. Uh, however, uh, there have been a few IRS tax court cases out there. One of them in particular that's often cited, and uh, in that tax court case, the court ruled that someone who is the age of seven or younger, effectively, um, is not able to perform meaningful work within a business. Uh, so oftentimes it's recommended that if you're going to actually have your child to work within your business to make sure they're over the age of seven. However, you know, the good news is there is a way around that uh, you can have your child be a model. Um, so if you have a website or you're on social media or you're doing any type of advertising where you can fit your child in as a model, you can pay your child modeling fees if they are under the age of seven. And that is generally acceptable. So, uh, kind of the bottom line is there: seven is is the is the age, uh, but you can always have your child model for you for business. Okay, got it. Yeah, and uh, do you need to track their work record or how easily that works? Oh, yeah, it's a good question. So, um, really, you could track them using and uh, you can have them use a timesheet. You can have there's a lot of time applications out there um, like toggle, but, uh, most of the time we see, we, we see our clients paying them a salary. So let's pay them a flat salary, um, and not really worry about how much time they're working in particular. But if you are going to pay them an hourly rate, which you absolutely can, um, you would want to use some type of time tracking tool, like, like, like a, like a toggle, like an application, or perhaps, uh, just a, a, a regular timesheet for them. Got it. Got it. Uh, and, uh, would you also share any, you know, tax benefits for uh, LP, like, you know, limited partners uh, when they invest in syndications? Yeah, absolutely. So one, one of the biggest, so, so the biggest strategy is going to be available to you as a limited partner is the ability to use passive losses to offset the capital gains tax on the sale of of when the syndication liquidates. So let me give you an example is the best way to probably illustrate this. Usually when you're investing in a syndicate, uh, you're going to get a K-1. And that K-1 in the first year, that usually the syndicator, the general partner group, they're going to go ahead and have a cost segregation study performed on the property. And they might even be doing some value add work. So you're usually going to get a loss passed through to you on box two of your K-1. That's going to be a passive loss. As a limited partner, nine times out of 10, that's going to be considered a passive loss. And you're going to, that loss is either going to be used to offset income or gains 
from other uh, passive activities you, you have, such as other LP interests or other rental properties you might own um, in that year. So if you have a gain on sale of a rental property that year, those losses can help offset the gain. If you don't have any income or gain from passive activities, those losses are going to be suspended and carried forward to future years until you have income or gain from those activities. Uh, so really what it becomes, the, the strategy for LP investors is to monitor your, your passive losses that you have on your tax return. You could look at that on form 8582 of your tax return and uh, work with your syndicator. Or just you know have a good line of communication with your syndicator on what year they're going to sell the property so that you can make sure that you have enough suspended passive losses in that year uh, to be able to offset the gain on sale uh, to minimize the taxes you would pay. So it's really a timing game. What what I've seen and I've used this strategy personally is, you know, I I just use myself as an example. Um, I there was a syndicate fund that I was a part of. Uh, I was a limited partner in this particular fund, and it liquidated last year in 2021. And I knew I was going to have a capital gain, so I invested in another limited partnership interest, and that limited partnership interest passed through a loss to me that year. And now in 2021, so now the gain uh, on the liquidation of that syndicate is going to be offset by the passive losses from another syndicate. So that's how you can use the strategy. If you have enough, but bottom line is if you have, if you're monitoring your form 8582 and you know a sale is coming in a certain year and you have enough passive losses already to offset the gain on sale, you don't have to do anything. Uh, it'll just offset. However, if you don't have enough suspended passive losses, you can either buy a rental property yourself, use a cost segregation study to drive up the depreciation expense, generate a loss to offset the gain, or you can invest in another syndicate um, in that year to offset the gain on sale of the other syndicate. And that's really uh, the bottom line is that's the strategy most LPs are going to want to take advantage of. Awesome. That's a good strategy. Definitely. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. And oh. any books that uh, that you read uh, impacting your life recently? Oh, yeah. So I, I recently read a highly recommended book by, called Atomic Habits. I think it's by James Clear. Um, one of uh, one of the one of the team members here at the firm that I work for, uh, they ended up they recommended it. And when I read it, I was uh, it, it really blew me away and it changed. It changed the way I think about uh, my identity. It changed the way that some of the habits that I started to build. So I would highly recommend that book to anybody, um, Atomic Habits. Awesome, awesome. And how can listeners can connect with you, Thomas? Right, this is a good question. So the best way to connect with me, I kind of have two ways right now. I am getting on Twitter. So it's at Thomas Costelli underscore on Twitter. You could find me there or uh, Tax Smart Real Estate Investors. We have a Facebook group. So you could just search Tax Smart Real Estate Investors on Facebook and you'll be able to find, find us there as well. Awesome. And thank you very much, Thomas. Thank you for sharing real estate professional status and you know, tax strategies when selling uh, real estate properties and also other uh, you know, other uh, tax-related benefits. Thank you very much. Anytime. No, thanks for having me. It's, it's an honor to be on. Sure. Thanks for listening to Multifamily AP360. Check out the show notes and grab the freebie on our website, ushacapital.com. Also, if you enjoyed this episode, share it with those who might benefit and leave a rating and review. Follow me on my social media. Thanks for tuning in and I'll see you next time. Thank you.